0: As we take a break during the summer, I'm revisiting some of the most favourite episodes. And this week, it's the enigmatic Richard Reid, founder of Innocent. It is a story that goes down as perhaps one of the greatest British success stories of recent years, and he tells it with such dry humour, charisma, and a grounded and down-to-earth attitude that I think you cannot fail to adore this episode. Richard has the most incredible way of sharing his journey, by breaking it down into such a tangible and honest way that it feels attainable for anyone with a dream, and not only for a select lucky few." Okay, enough of me waxing lyrical about him. It's safe to say I am a fan. So, let's get started. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down where we're going you won't need to bring your frown. I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not on the High Street for my kitchen table, and since then I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK Ambassador of Creative Small Businesses and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hi Richard, this is exciting, you're a complete hero of mine, actually you're a complete hero of so many people that I know. Innocent is one of those killer brands that I truly admire. It went against the grain. It was bold. It was funny. Um, your attention to detail is something that I still talk about to all small businesses that I mentor. Now we're sitting in your latest business, Jam Jar Investments HQ, which is rather cool. Everyone listening can imagine it's rather cool. Full of jam jars. And in each jam jar is um, something that uh, represents one of your investments. And it's absolutely fantastic. And some of those jars, I saw Grey's Deliveroo, and I want to talk to you about this if that's okay with you. But to begin with, I just wanted to start and have the honour of hearing firsthand your story of Innocent, how it came about, going back to the very beginning, if you wouldn't mind, when you met at university.
1: Well, Innocent is—it's a story of friendship, actually. I mean, we. I met my, what became my best pals, Adam and John, at university. We bonded over there being a lack of nightlife. We were at Cambridge, and it seemed to be the principal evening activity was drinking beers in the college and singing rugby songs. And I was a guy from Huddersfield. I just hadn't come across this thing before. It, it wasn't my vibe. N- no judgment of it. It was like, that's not my kind of thing. What I was obsessed with at that point, because it was just that the advent of house music was clubbing and DJing, and the only music being played in college at that time was Dex's Midnight Runners and all that kind of stuff. So i are like, <laughs> oh, God. But I found a couple of people that sort of felt the same way. We were like, well, why don't we start doing it ourselves? We never DJed before. We never put on club nights before. But if, I don't know, you're doing it with a couple of other people, then it feels a lot less intimidating. So we started doing that. And we got – it. actually, it, it became super popular. The nights we put on, it was a night called Please. And we DJed at it and organized it. And we just realized two things. One, as a team – we worked super well together. And secondly, it's like it's even more fun being the guys organizing it than being on the dance floor. Yeah. So we made a very sort of, I think, actually a relatively sort of spiritually positive decision right there. And then we said, oh, we, one day we will set up a business together. But its principal reason would be to have and build a life and, uh, and, a, and a bus to drive th- through that life with uh, as three friends uh, and to me it's the thing that I love the most about it was it was really ultimately an excuse for getting to hang out with my mates post-college and the idea for Innocent was in fact born of a hangover we were on a skiing holiday feeling grim one morning but having the same conversations we'd had for seven years now of look we said one day we we're going to set the business so what would that business be and we wanted something that was going to make life a little bit easier and better for people. And we wanted something that we our, ourselves needed and wanted. And right then we needed and wanted something healthy just to make up for the fact <laughs> we felt so bad from the night before. And so the idea, that's why we all oh, we'll do smoothies because they're great and they're really healthy. And I, mum's always saying she get more fruit. And all we ever seem to do is basically eat pizza and drink beer. So let's do that. And it was such a straightforward, simple idea. You buy fruit, you crush it, you put it into bottles. We could get our heads around it. And actually that is, I'm not trying to minimize it. We did do lots of research and write a business plan and all the rest of it. But fundamentally the business started by us buying 500 pounds worth of fruit and literally crushing it up and putting it into bottles. We made a thousand bottles of smoothies and took them to a local music festival and set up a market stall at the festival. And it's a very simple stall. It was just some planks of wood over some bales of hay with the bottles of smoothie there. But the unusual feature of it was a big sign above it that said should we give up our jobs to make these smoothies and we had a bin that said yes on the front and a bin that said no on the front and we asked people to buy the smoothies and vote with the empty bottles and we made a commitment to each other that if at the end of the weekend the yes bin was full we'd go in the Monday morning and resign and we got to the end of the weekend and the yes bin was full there was a few bottles in the no bin and Oh man, this is like 20 years ago. It was only about seven years ago. Our parents confessed they weren't putting the bottles in the no bin because they were. I was going about to it.
0: mention that. I yeah. saw that. Yeah, that yeah, but saw. it's true.
1: It's true. And every time I say that publicly, my mum goes, Oh, you've got to stop saying that. It makes us sound like unsupported parents. <laughs> but, you know. But, but they
0: were scared. Yeah, they
1: were. The, 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 I, I couldn't love my parents more. They've just been like the, the, the gold standard in parenting. So they're just, they're only ever. My mum's just like perpetually worried and just wants to make sure everything's okay. And. So it's, it's quite a scary idea. My dad was a slightly more pragmatic thing. Of he said, well, I, uh, are you sure it's fruit juice? I think it should be yoghurt. So he had a sort of quite specific sort of oh, yeah. okay. dairy a agenda. A specific
0: concern. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yoghurt exactly. versus fruit rather than actually your livelihood. Exactly. Yeah. It's
1: really weird whether your parent will come, to come out It's like, it's got to be yoghurt. But anyway, we did do a yoghurt one, but it didn't work that well in the long term. So it it was the catalyst. We'd actually had this weird Monday morning because it was literally the very next day and we'd all said we're going to resign from our jobs at 10 o'clock. I went to my boss's office, a guy called Joran Murray. I stood outside at 9.57 on the Monday morning. I'm thinking, what am I doing? I can't go and resign. I'm like, I'm renting a house. This is the only money I get is the wage from here. I've got literally no cash. If I walk out of my job now, none of it makes sense. I've got no money to live from. So I sort of bottled it and I went back to my desk and... I called Adam and John and they said, have you resigned? And I said, no. And they said, why not? And I said, well...
0: Had I, they at that time? Well, that's what
1: I said. Have you, have you two? And they went, no, no, we haven't either. <laughs> so we all collectively, independently bottled it. So then we all said, okay, at 10.30, we're going to go do it. And then so we went back and we did. And then, yeah, you know, there's just this, There's what's that hippie phrase about, you know, once you commit, the universe provides. And I have to say, as I get older, I'm sort of starting really to believe in that. But also just in a very pragmatic sense, if you actually start doing it, then you've sent out the signal it's going i'm doing this and then people around you that you know your friends and family and just even people you meet randomly they go oh you're doing that oh no i understand you're doing that and then they might help and i can't tell you the amount of unsolicited help that we got given because we say like, oh we're not a juice company people are like, oh that's really interesting why no sense so you know makes orange juice you want to speak to them and i literally had people stop on the street as they would walk past and see me unloading the van because there's a lot of loading and unloading the van you know well mate do you want a hand like just a random punters on the street helping it's like i love this country i I love our species i love humans it's like we're Mm. inbuilt we want to help and if you stand up and go i'm gonna do this a lot of people go good for you mate how can i help
0: It's so interesting you saying that. And I think when we go back to what is quite a famous story of the bins and the yes and no, and should I give up my job? You know, someone gave you permission right there and then you were asking for permission to take that moment. And if I speak to a lot of businesses now, it's this belief that there's this perfect moment. I always say it's like having a child, you know, there's absolutely no perfect moment. And they're sort of waiting, they're holding back to actually take that step. And so I love that as a just sort of an iconic um, story, which is there you go. You asked two dustbin liners, you know, bins, and people said yes and no. Mm. And that's just the permission you needed. Obviously, you could have made that decision without it, but it just helped knowing that people liked the idea yeah. and it was an indication and that you could on 10 30 the next, on the Monday morning, give up your job. And I do try and push people to um, say, well, what would make you feel like you could give up your job? What could make you feel? And it's not necessarily A perfect business plan money in the bank the design ready the logo the whole thing its actually just the momentum of making that decision and i love where you're saying that the universe provided i wanted to touch on investment here as it's one of the questions i'm most asked you know the landscape is incredibly different now to when um, you started even when i started there are so many sort of routes now available to businesses when you all decided to start innocent, how did you literally start um, after quitting your jobs? I presumed there had been savings, but from the sounds of it, there might not have been <laughs> that was-, was
1: literally the last there was literally the last month's paycheck.
0: So the last but- parts of the paycheck. so you know where did you think that investment was going to come from?
1: Uh, I'll, I'll, I have to say, we were insane. We thought it would take three weeks from having resigned to be up and running. Okay. <laughs> it took eighteen months. Yeah, we were mad. We just we had we actually had absolutely no idea of how difficult it was, and if we had have known how difficult it was going to be, we definitely definitely wouldn't have done it.
0: Yeah, the beauty of naivety.
1: The beauty of naivety. Yeah. That said, the counterpoint to that though is, if we had have known then how much the next fifteen years. And then subsequent, having sold the business my life now, how much it was going to be worth it to go through that brutal 18 months, then I definitely would have done it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yep. But, yep. oh, wow, were we unprepared for it? No, I mean, it's, 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 we have. I've got no nothing clever to tell you. It was credit card debt. Mm-hmm. We were on the dole. I was on housing benefit, slightly faking it because you were supposed to be looking for jobs. And I'm like, well, I'm trying to create a business. They're like, yeah, but that's not valid. I'm like, but isn't that better if I create a business rather than just? They're like, and they were trying to get me to have a bar job in this pub in Fulham. I'm like, well, I can, but I'm trying to set up a business, and I think long term it's going to be better for everyone, including myself. But anyway, so we did that for a bit, and but yeah, we we got in debt, and that's the scary bit because it's getting the the, the launch date is getting further and further away, and you're getting more and more into the into the red, and. Yeah, uh,
0: and why was it being pushed? So, what were those parts? When I think about the audience that's listening, sort of, you know, that building bits of building a business. Yeah, was it literally? I need a bank account. We need, you know, to be able to find the bottles for the juices, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What was what was that that difference of timeline? Well,
1: I think that we, that we saw. And obviously, it's very. There's a lot to do. with Segment business. We saw those three principal things. One, we need to raise money because none of us have got any and we're not from rich backgrounds. Secondly, we're going to have to find someone to work with to make these things. So we're going to find a, essentially a factory that's going to go yes. And thirdly, we're going to need a brand because it's, you know, we're not trying to be running a factory and being an own label. We're creating something. So there was the three principal work stream. you think, yeah, I don't know, three weeks will be fine, won't it? And what happened was we, we tried to raise money and literally I, I've never been on the receiving end of so many no's. It's just like everyone said no. We applied. There was a thing called the Small Business Loan Guarantee Scheme.
0: Oh, I remember. Great
1: government initiative. Love it. The idea is the government acts as the guarantor for a loan that a bank will make. So there's no risk to the bank to fund startups of young people. We applied 20 different times to 20 different banks, got turned down out 20 times. You know, like on the 20th rejection, you go, okay, maybe <laughs> that that's the end of that path. And then... People say you've got to go to venture capital firms, business angels, and again, I'm a guy, I I genuinely, it sounds a bit naive, but I hadn't even heard the phrase, Mm -hmm. business angel, venture capitalist, business plan. These are words I had not heard before. Now fortunately, I'm doing it with a couple of guys that are smarter than me, and they're like, you know, these people, and they invest, and they're like, okay, great. So you get the directory, and you, you just go through them, and you systematically go and approach every single one, and everyone said no. I remember one guy got a meeting, said, well, you score zero out of five in the investor's handbook. You're too young. You've never done it before. You're trying to take on a massive industry. You've got no clear leader and you're going to be threatened by the supermarkets if you ever get successful anyway. It's just a terrible idea. So we're going through all this and we're going, oh, 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 right, that's Slightly disappointing, and in real life, after a year, I was like, "God, we're nowhere." And we've actually now we got to the end of the directories. We we went to this thing called the London Enterprise Network Trust, brilliant organisation. puts you in the room as young a young startup with loads of business angels that want to invest. We get our slot; it's half an hour pitching to a room of fifty people. Their whole reason of being there is to invest in a startup business. We do the presentation that we've been practicing for days. At the end of the presentation, we go to this room full of 50 potential business angels go, and if anyone's interested, if they could just show their hand, and literally 50 people did not put their hands up. So you have to pack up your smoothies in your little bag and walk off stage, right? Zero. So actually, the truth of Innocent is, we did give up. We gave up, we're like... Because we ran out of options and then it was our flatmate who ever heard us and told us this theory of Kevin Bacon, the actor, that everyone's only one, there's six stages removed from Kevin Bacon or something. And everyone knows someone. He's like, his insight was, you will know someone who knows someone who's rich. So we just sent out this email and the subject line said, does anyone know anyone who's rich? And then we just spammed as many email addresses as we could get, spammed half of London with it. We got back a few responses. It was quite a funny email. Does anyone only rich. It gets noticed, it gets sent on. We got one from my ex boss who confessed to be having a, an affair with a married tax exile who lived in Monaco and she was prepared to send the business plan to him. He took a pass, but they had this great <laughs> bit of gossip. And then the second one was like a, a, an old school friend from John's got in touch. They hadn't seen each other since they were 16, but he had done work experience in the office of a guy that he overheard doing. Angel deals and said, "Well, look, I can introduce you to this guy. I don't know if he's going to be interested." And that guy turned out to be a guy called Morris Pinto. He was an American guy. He heard the pitch. He said, "Yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's I think it's a I think it's a bad idea." Yeah, and we were trying to raise two hundred fifty thousand. And he said, "But you know, I'll, I'll put in 50000 And the good news is, I'm the lead investor on a network of investors. We've done deals together for the last twenty years. If I put my money, in they follow with their money. So I'll get the other two hundred f- from them great this is a whole new world to me it's like this this happens or this is like stuff in the movies and anyway, we go back a couple of weeks later and he goes okay for the first time in 20 years they've all said no they're not prepared to put the money in <laughs> they think it's a terrible idea so i'll put in i'll put in the extra two hundred thousand myself wow. cut forward about 10 years later this guy's telling this story to a room full of uh entrepreneurs that we were sort of doing a, a talk at. and somebody puts their hand up and said did you do did you put in the extra 200 because you thought it was a good idea or out of a sense of obligation. He said, oh, entirely out of a sense of obligation. <laughs> <laughs> <Isn't that> great. <laughs> in my, my view, you've got to say whatever's going, you know. But without him, definitely no innocent. Without that stupid email, definitely no him. So I don't know. There's no secrets, is there? You can get lucky on your first go, or it might take you your thousands go. But I do think this, if you keep going and you're prepared to sort of try different approaches, not just necessarily banging your head in the same way, but just finding, I don't know, yeah, just...
0: It's your if you have given, you've though. given up. It's your spirit. I mean, the the thing here is that you didn't give up. I mean, you did give up at one stage, maybe mentally, but you know, the passion, the energy was alive within you. And yeah. well, and you know it, what? It was
1: it was weirdly. I was, it was more. I'm kind of partly. There's a very the the positive thing was. This is what the best advice I can ever really give to anyone is like do it with some people that you love and trust because you're doing it. Three of us. No way would I've been able to do it by myself. I wouldn't have had the I wouldn't have had the guts and I wouldn't have had the skills and I wouldn't have had the motivation to keep going with all the no's. But with the of three, someone's having a good day to compensate for the bad day, so you keep each other in the sort of the loop.
0: Into the loop, yeah. And it's such an important lesson for business: is not to give up, and no matter how many no's. When you think about J.K. Rowling, got rejected twelve times, right, before finding a publisher. Airbnb met with fifteen angel investors, and not one single person was inv- interested. And as you said, you scored this zero out of five. You know, you no, weren't. Well, not you. <laughs> they did. Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: like mate, It's a five.
0: <laughs> yeah not you you personally. know what actually I wasn't
1: mate it was a five I was just like so scared and nervous I yeah. don't know what this is yeah You're going in like presenting to some sort of like business sausage in a suit your idea for a business you think it the whole thing we just made up anyway yeah and he was right yeah I felt like validated I felt my negative voices were validated by him going, of course not
0: yeah If you believe in the idea, though, and that's what we're saying, and you think that it will actually benefit the world, there is this sort of other alternative energy that comes around you to make it happen one of the most beloved refreshing and just bloody clever things about innocent and I'd say it's not really being rival today is it's attention to detail Mm. the most genius but tiniest details that you barely notice but when you do it makes you instantly love the brand for instance you changed your used by dates to enjoy by dates or on the bottom of the bottles you had the line stop looking at my bottle yeah, Where did this inspiration come from? And where did that tone of voice come from?
1: Oh, the tone of voice is just the three of us. It was really interesting. A friend of ours from college had sort of disappeared off to, I think they'd been to Thailand or something, for 10 years teaching. Completely lost out of touch with them. And she was telling me the story that when she'd come back to London... She didn't know anything about any of this then She just got out and she buys a bottle of juice. It's This company called Innocent she drinks it and she starts reading it. And she thinks to herself, Blimey, this really reminds me of Richard Adam and John. I thought it was an amazing thing for her to say she's like, it was just the it was just our it was just our sense of
0: wow, humour. And we just cool. had to think
1: like, well, we just never understood why businesses get all really pompous and sort of being all sort of, you know, like sort of greater yes. than. Grown yes. like, up. Yeah, we we just we're just humans. Having you know, having a nice time basically, and yeah. just like just speak to people like you speak to your mates minus the swear words. That's what we said. That was the sort of the the, the mandate. But I, I mean, you know, and in a funny way, I think it really helped. It also mm-hmm. delivered for me some of my my, my single most favourite moments, like. That thing about enjoy by, we got into a little bit of trouble for trading standards, but because you're not, you're not supposed to write enjoy by, you're supposed to write use by. So we had this whole like convoluted argument with them about if yeah, you don't actually use the fruit juice, it's the wrong it's the wrong word of the language. You don't use fruit, you know, you you, you consume it and enjoy it anyway. So we were like, okay, fine. But then we used to do this thing, which I knew was definitely definitely naughty. We used to put fake joke ingredients it, it, on the labels. And then there was this one way, you know, it said on the side six strawberries, two bananas, yes. one orange, and two plump nuns, right? It's not even funny, is it? This is a bad joke. Anyway, I print this label, forget about it, it goes out into the. And then anyway, I get this call, and I I, I can't remember her son which is called Denise, and she worked for Kensington and Chelsea Trading Standards. And she rang, rings me one day and goes, Mr. Reed, you know, we've got this, we've had a complaint about this bottle, and it says two plump nuns in the, in the uh, ingredient panel. And I go, well, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, it's just our. Stupid sense of humour, but obviously no one's going to take it seriously. She goes, well, we do. We're launching a formal investigation. And I remember thinking two thoughts simultaneously, which is, oh, crikey, that sounds a bit serious. But, oh, wow, I just can't wait to see where this ends up. And and, and actually where it ends up is I have to, uh, you know, there's the written submissions, which isn't good enough. that ends up as a formal hearing that I have to go to. And I'm not entirely sure it was actually technically a, a court of law, but I had to go to this room in the in the town centre where there's a, a set of three people sat behind a, a, a desk. And the guy in the middle is wearing a black gown and there's a lady on a stenograph machine typing everything. It's, as, so I'm putting my case for the sort of defence and Denise is there putting the case for the prosecution. The guy in the gown sits there, listens to both. And he goes, okay, he's going to retire to this room and consult with his colleagues and, and, and send me his written ruling. And about 10 days later, I get this letter, and it's my favorite bit of business correspondence I've ever got. Because I open it, it goes, Dear Mr. Reed, you must either take off the reference to plump nuns or start using them in your fruit juice. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is like, I'm, I'm so framing that.
0: I mean, that's going in the loo. Isn't yeah, it? That, that is that's like that is that's along with any one of my other proudest, days in proudest business. moments yeah, and yeah. things. Yeah. And thought, oh my system. goodness, what a story! <laughs> but it's what I love and truly admire, and as you said, the fact that you brought this fun, this human element to it. And I think a lot of businesses will start or continue, and I certainly know this, where you believe that if you're in business, somehow we go back to maybe what our fathers or our fathers' fathers. You know, it's the suit. It's a tie. It's the constraints, It's it's what should be. Yeah. Whereas actually, what you guys did was you connected with that customer. You actually said, "Well, this is my customer. We're going to connect." You you called your offices Fruit Towers, and I mean, just for the fact that you called it Fruit Towers at a time where it wasn't all about bean bags and trendiness and Silicon Valley and all this sort of thing. Yeah, that we, actually, yeah, we you were even you existed. exactly. So you were the guys that did this. You were the place that people wanted to work. Your values were strong, but you also looked like you were having the best time too. And I think it was at a time where... Can so I just say,
1: yeah. we really, really were. It was, yeah. was so much fun. I'm doing it with my two best mates. And the thing that we're building, and we had this internal house phrase, which is, we, we take the serious bit seriously. You you would not, to this day, find a company that was more committed to ethical sourcing, making sure everything is deeply healthy and nutritionally beneficial, We got our entire supply chain to go to green electricity. We gave 10% of the profits to charity. We made every single employee a shareholder so there was wealth redistribution. That stuff, health, ethics, we were like deadly serious about that. But you can take all that stuff seriously without taking yourself seriously. And doing things with a bit of lightness and humor, yeah, sure. But it can't be at the expense of. But my view was society kind of makes assumptions. If you turn up in a suit and tie, you're a serious, credible person. And if you turn up in a t-shirt, you're not. I'm like, no, I think that's just a choice of whether you've got a weird piece of fabric around your neck or not. You know, it's, it's, it's your actions that count. It's what, it, what is it you're physically making and what is the way you're making it and what are you doing with the proceeds of having made it. That's what businesses should be judged upon. And I have to say, and I'm not trying to blow a trumpet, you screen innocent against those criteria, then I think we get big ticks.
0: Very big ticks, And it was at a time, and I'm going to talk about that, where this was not being done. You know, this wasn't being done. But just on a little fun bit, I was at a dinner party the other day and someone still, and I remember in the past people mentioned this, just tell me about um, the banana phone. Just tell me that little bit of the story of what the banana phone was at Innocent.
1: Well, (laughs) it was a banana phone. We just like call the banana phone, but it's a banana. I mean, it is literally, look, no big deal. We found a plastic yellow banana phone down one of the tech shops on Tottenham, Tottenham Court Road. I'm like, oh, we've got to have that. So that that was the consumer phone line. People would ring and you pick up the banana phone and speak to the consumer. Because it always said on the side of the bottle, either pop round Fruit Towers or give the banana phone a call. And I, if I believe anything, congruency. You have to... What you think and what you feel has to match what you say and what what you do. Innocent is in no way a perfect entity, but it was always that. There was a congruency. It was about nature, health, ethics, community. The way we purported to the world was the reality. And that's why we could have a literally open door policy to this day that anyone can go around the fruit towers and they will be welcomed in without an appointment to see it because it's your business, as much as it's ours. You know, We are the customer, the customer is us. Without the customers, we're just some very strange people with a very expensive fruit-crushing hobby. So it is entirely dependent on people buying the product. So why wouldn't you want them engaged? You have to listen to them and make sure that what we're doing is what they want. Otherwise, you're not gonna have a business.
0: I'm jumping in here quickly as I have no doubt you are laughing and smiling as you listen to Richard recount his own journey and what a story it is. Just wait until you hear the letter to his younger self. I think even he was taken aback about how emotional it was. Don't worry if you are listening to this episode and wondering where you're going to get your next dose of inspiration from. If it's an iconic British brand you're looking for, we have a whole collection of them over at holly.co slash podcast, where I've curated a selection of episodes that will go down in the business hall of fame. But if you want to jump straight into the next one, can I suggest you take a listen to a two-part episode with Sir Tim Smith, who is the founder of Eden? It truly was a life-changing conversation for me personally so I so hope you enjoy. You instantly brought on the ethical side of the business, the 10% of profit to charity. I mean I'm admire the brand so much but one of the things that i absolutely love was the tiny knitted hats um yeah. but seeing these tiny hats on your smoothies in the supermarkets which you just didn't equate why am i seeing a innocent bottle with? very disruptive
1: in a funny way very very
0: disruptive but in a really cute way right? but in such a smile on your face and even better you know these hats were donated by the public who sent them in and for every smoothie you sold you donated 25p to age uk and since 2003 i believe. 7.5 million hats have been knitted, yeah. uh, raising nearly 2.5 million, am I right in saying that, for age UK? Like, yeah.
1: And you know, this is all just a guy in Innocent that comes up with this idea he goes, mate, I've had this idea I'm going to get hats knitted by volunteers and we'll raise money for charity. Um, And that's just my, my eternal discredit. I went, mate, I don't think that's going to work. You're going to at least need to find a factory in China to make the hats. He goes, no, no, I'll get them all knitted by hand, by volunteers. All you've got to do is commit the 25 people hat and I go well that's easy mate because you're not going to get any hats are you <laughs> anyway like first year 3,000 hats second year 20,000 hats third year 80,000 hats 10th year 4.1 million hats all knit by volunteers all across the world insane innocent is the world's biggest producer of woolen hats admittedly they're very small it's like how did that happen we we're like especially making fruit juice we're like the world's largest maker of hats
0: Oh my goodness! <laughs> so I don't funny, can't believe it? that. <laughs> I know, but it, it, the the fact is, is that you listen to that employee that came up with that idea. you were oh,
1: you, allowed to just just like don't ask, don't ask me for permission. You, you know that phrase? Don't have permission. Ask for forgiveness. It's like don't even ask for forgiveness if you if you if you've got a good idea and it's in line with the mission and the values of the business. Definitely try. Don't don't ask for, ask forgiveness. How patronizing! <laughs> it's not wrong to try and do something great for the business. So, we would celebrate the successes, we would celebrate the failures. We made a big thing out of celebrating people that were prepared to stop things. Because you do need to be able to start things, you need to also have the confidence and the maturity to stop things. When it turns out that one's not working, that's okay. So we're going to try another thing and that might work. And so, hmm. celebrating the no's, celebrating the yeses, celebrating the wins, celebrating the failures. Because what really drove innocent success fundamentally was, of course, the team. You're getting you You win in business long term, not through your i p and not through your capital base you, you win long term long term if you attract and retain and develop and motivate the the best talent. We always look for two what I call two twin jet engines altruism and ambition and you want it in equal measure. you get too much ambition and not enough altruism you just sort of become a sort of slightly you know unpleasant person if it's all altruism and ambition it's like It's great, come buy our stuff, but actually we need to grow a business because we want to make you know, get get lots of healthy products out there and make money and get some for charity. So twin engine, altruism, ambition. Oh, it's a really lovely mixture. And I think that's what Innocence got.
0: You hardwired this into your business at a time where you were one of the first people, I would say, to do this. Whereas today, let's say, um, we talk about um, being consciously consuming. We are talking more than ever about our issues with plastic. We're talking about balancing profits with purpose. Where do you think that came from, from you guys? You wanted your time in your business to have positive impact before you could even pay the rent. Absolutely. So tell me where you think that came from.
1: Well, I think what's really interesting is it's actually in all three of us. It's not like it was just me or just Adam. There was never any debate from the beginning. As you say, these sort of elements were were at least some of them were there. Some grew. For me personally, I, I think it's just upbringing. I grew up in a small village in Yorkshire. Every year there was a thing called the Upper Hopton Gala and the community would come together. The sort of like the dads would put, build the stores and the mums would bake the cakes and sorry, gender stereotyping, but this is Yorkshire in the 1970s. It was like that. And there'd be, and, and there'd be like Tom Bowlers and you'd raise money and, oh my God, we loved it. Kids in the village. And so I got a real sense of community. I got a sense of raising money for charity. My mum started my entrepreneur flywheel going just when we've been, we walk around Hoods for one day, and there's a there's a stall, Greenpeace, and it's showing these horrific photographs of dolphins being slaughtered, and it had the effect for me as a I think it was eight, like viscerally upset by her. it. It's quite a sensitive kid actually, and I was like, how? What you know? It's like how? And you just as a kid, you, you kids are, of course. How on earth? Well, yeah, and kids are the soothsayers, right? They, they just see it, things. It is like. Why is that happening? And what can I do? And she says, well, you could raise money. or How do I raise money? So We could have a jumble sale in the village. Go around and ask. So my mum suggested and go, me going knocking on doors. You got the old jumbles and had a jumble sale in our garage. We, I think we, I think, I 11 pounds, 83 pence we made. Not bad. <laughs> got in the Murfield Reporter, our local rag. There's a picture of me with the mass, this, you know, when you get those massive charity checks, it says 11 pounds, 83. So, you know, but you know, I'm eight. So, you know, not too bad, I guess. I learned then you can you can change stuff. You can do stuff. You can start stuff. I, I don't know if my mum hadn't suggested that. If I hadn't seen that Greenpeace thing, probably not sat here today, you know. My, I, I actually credit quite a lot to my bigger sister. She's, she's as big a hippie as you can get. You know, she lives off the grid. No mobile phone, won't have a bank account. Kids giving birth doing a teepee in the back garden, Native American chanting music. But she is like, one of my friends described as a hug manifested as a person. She's just so, so loving, sees the positive in everything. And it's just like having that just 18 mm. months older than me, just this constant sort of loving and actually a very perceptive sense of things aren't quite the, what we see. I remember I remember when I started Innocent, she sent me this magazine clipping from one of her sort of crazy hippie magazines. And it said that all cars on the road today could run on vegetable oil. It's just the oil companies don't want you to know that. And she sent me this thing. And I th- remember thinking, I feel sorry for my sister. She's so naive. She thinks that's actually true. Ten years later, I'm literally outside fruit towers with these massive tubs of vegetable oil, tipping them into our our, our vans, going, it's true, they can. So sometimes I always thought mm-hmm. it, the, the hippies are actually the people that are ahead in society, saying this is where it's going. This mm-hmm. is what we need to be aware of. This is the stuff that's great. This is the stuff that we should be trying to reduce and... So I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of like organizations like Greenpeace. They are sort of lobbying. They are the grassroots marketing organization for Planet Earth saying, because all the people in suits, they'll go, no, we're not. No,
0: mm-hmm. we're not doing
1: that. We're not dig. No, we're not doing that. It's fine. No, those chemicals are safe. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, they're not, mate. Mm-hmm. So I, we need the hippies to sort of ring the bell. Mm.
0: You look back at that influence that might have been in your home, And you actually think that that Mm -hmm. subconscious was absorbing that. I'm aware of it, yeah. And so now looking back, you can connect those dots. But before we talk about your latest business, you had a huge monumental success with Innocent. From an outside perspective, it can often seem like an overnight success story. But my aim with this podcast is to bring to life the amount of utter sheer hard work the complete shitstorms that have to be dealt with battled through to grow a brand and to talk honestly about the huge ups and the monumental downs you had a very hard year in 2008 with the global crisis could you talk a little bit about that and what kept you actually strong and able to get through that time
1: yeah it was a really it's a really good question because the reality is the first Ni- we started in 99, and 99 to 2007, essentially, everything worked. Stressful, because you, you everything's growing so quickly. But we didn't have any bad luck. And then 2008, it was like the 10% bad luck you'd get each year that had been not incurred. Accumulating. Accumulating with interest. And you go, here it is. It's like, wow. So suddenly... Our, our sales collapse by uh, 30% in three months. So the, the, we're declining by 10% a month for three months. We have previously forecast that we're going to grow by 40%, but we've declined by 30%. But because of our industry, you have to buy all the fruit contract year in advance. So suddenly now we're sat on 16 million pounds with the fruit that we don't no longer need. We've been employing people for a business growing by 40%. It's now minus 30%. By the way, for the first time ever, we borrowed some money from the bank the year before, set against our profit and revenue targets, which we've already smashed, which we've now completely failed to meet. They want the money back. We don't have it. They, You read the detail of the paperwork. Oh, they now get to be the legal owners of the business if we don't pay them back the money. All this is going on at the same time. And then our supplier that makes 100% of our products on a daily basis because they're fresh and you, you, know, you, you juice and bottle them, ship them every single day, calls us at 1 p.m. on a Friday and go, we're really, really sorry. We wanted to tell you this before, but legally we weren't allowed to. As of five o'clock this afternoon, we're going into receivership. This is the last time we'll ever be making smoothies for you. And we're like, what, what do you mean? Because you are our entirety of My our business goodness. system. And you go, so yeah, you are saying shit's on stands on. Like, and that was all just sort of happening simultaneously. It was like, wow, now you said, you know, what our 40s got us through it. The truth is we didn't know what to do. For the first few months of the sales going down, where well, there was a denial, it's like, oh, it'll get better next month, they'll get next, so we didn't act early enough. The consequence of us not acting early enough meant we had to lay off more people when we did do it. So that's, I can blame the external circumstances, and that was what precipitated the issue, but there's a failure of, of myself of not reading the signs quicker enough and acting quicker enough, and more people lost their jobs than they needed to. It also showed me the unbelievable benefit of having people in your team smarter than you. And to a certain extent, with some more experience than you. Because that thing about the, because the sort of, the reduction in sales, that's like a slow death. The supply going out of business is, mm-hmm. so that's it, done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Four hours to go. We had one guy in the business, who was a bit older than us, we brought in, he was our supply chain guy. He knew what to do. I swear that guy saved our business. A guy called Steve Spall he saved our business we didn't I didn't know what to do I can make I can, I can make some funny jokes with the label but that's not quite what we need right now is it
0: <laughs> <laughs> No no it wasn't so, the, he he managed my to he managed me. to
1: straight through that and like wow thank you
0: You got through that time
1: We got through that time But here's the thing right it, what it did do and it's a cliche but wow did not it make the business better
0: Made True. you stronger it made you resilient leaner. Yeah, Lina, yes. I yeah. remember
1: there was this thing, you know, I, I love I, I love the culture. It was so positive, so much fun, so many social events. And, we, you know, we actively organized countless nights out for the team. It was really brilliant. We even had someone that over time their role became 100% their employees to organize parties for the business. That's a signal. It's the a- ultimate signal is that after one of the big nights out, she presented me a genuine full leather-bound photo album of, of some of the photos the like that before, and on it there is a gold encrusted uh, coat of arms that she's had made, like f- for innocent. Like you know, there's, a, there's an orange in it and a bottle of smoothie. I was thinking, that's that was that's the sign. Like when you've got someone employed full time <laughs> to develop leather-bound, gold encrusted photo albums of your nights out, you know <laughs> you've lost track of what's important. I'm all for the fun and the.
0: Yeah, of course. Back but that was consumer. just that, just hit that nerve where you thought, right, okay. Uh oh. <laughs> <Uh-oh. laughs> this is the. <laughs> we
1: become one of those companies. Yeah.
0: So you. you back
1: to you, basics. Back
0: to basics.
1: Is it natural? Is it healthy? Is it affordable? Does it look great on shelf? Let's do that.
0: It's interesting because you had this. I mean, you know, it's probably undescribable the, the stress that was going on in the external world, not only in your internal world, but just it was carnage. And you saw your way through it. From that point... I think
1: we saw, as you said, it's a sandstorm. We felt our way through it with some fantastic guidance by people that knew the path a little bit better than we did.
0: And from that moment, Coca-Cola came into your lives in that period of time. You then...
1: Well, actually, Coca-Cola been trying to come into our lives since our second year in business. Wow. Second year of business, they ring up and they go... Hey, we've seen the products are out on shelf. Uh, we love the brand. We love the philosophy. Are you looking for investment? And we were like, no, 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 thanks, no thanks. And each are Just once. Once a year, they make the phone call, hey, just calling, see how's it going. Just let you know if you're ever looking you know, for investment. Well, like, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. <laughs> Cut to 2008. We're, we're now millions of pounds in debt. The bank's about to foreclose on us. I mean, they go, hey, guys. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it'd be great actually. It's like, oh my god, were we keen to talk to them? I mean, we ran a whole process and that, but it's like, I, I, I you mm-hmm. know. You I, bit, I, look, if
0: you think about that, you know, to, when into you say two years in, they made that call, mm, and you well, think year, actually yeah. for eighteen months you had received more no's in your life than ever before, and yeah. from that point, oh, we had well,
1: try unity for trying to invest. Yeah, so from you the had beginning. twenty-four
0: months later from mm, all of those mm. no's, from being at the point where you were feeling the stupid, you know, the most craziest, stupid person on. planet planet Earth to have created this idea, 24 months later, you have Coca-Cola knocking at your door. And it does show you, doesn't it, that, you know, that this complete opposite ends of the spectrum yeah. can happen. You know, that's, oh, yeah. that I can mean, actually you, happen.
1: And For most people's first business, it tends to be like that, doesn't it? It's like, mm-hmm. it starts with, of course not. Mm-hmm. But if somehow if you keep going, and, and going back to this earlier point, what kept me going, yes, the team, firstly, absolutely. But secondly, it was... The yes and no bin test, because I did know this, is the thing that kept us saying, it's like, but customers like it. Mm. So the VC guys are telling me why it won't mm. work. And the manufacturers, by the way, are also saying, no way, that's not how to do it. Everyone's giving me all these intellectual reasons, but but, but I know it tastes good The most delicious. important
0: people. Yeah,
1: the most important people. Are
0: telling who didn't me. didn't know us. Yep. It wasn't like
1: me asking my mum and dad. It's like, mm. The, mm. it's a thousand people that don't know us paying full market price and going, yeah, oh, that is yeah. amazing. I haven't, yeah. I haven't tried that before. I'd love that. Where gonna get it from?
0: Yeah,
1: that's what you hold on to. It can't just be your own belief. I think it has to be it has to be evidence. Consumers want it.
0: So. You made that phone call to Coca-Cola. Thank goodness no, they, they called. Me, me yeah. like, Thank yeah, God they called. Yeah, hey, pop over. Yeah, exactly. I've got a smoothie you might be <laughs> able to how's, try. How's half an hour's time? <laughs> and, you know, and it's been documented and, and, you know, people have spoken about the innocent Coca-Cola deal. And it's quite, um, it's something I wanted to touch on and then moving on. But the sense of... Well, what do you do with the business? Yes, you can grow it until you're 60 years old, 70 years old. But ultimately, as entrepreneurs, you did something to change the world in your own way. You have an opportunity to then let it take its next stage. And you chose that. It happens to be Coca-Cola, who probably know exactly what they're doing when it comes to drinks, et cetera, et cetera, and a global brand. How did you feel about that time? Because there, there is this sort of outside perspective of, Oh gosh, you know, selling doing out. it, selling out. Yeah. But you want to say to someone, well, to start with that entrepreneur who got a billion no's, if they can say, you know what, I can say to myself that I'm going to be relatively okay. For these 15 years, I've killed myself. I'm going to be relatively okay for the rest of my life. Would anyone else say no? Secondly, if you can put it into a position, that business into a position where actually it can take on that next Stage of its journey yeah. again. Would anyone say no? So I think if you put yourself in actually the shoes of those three guys who just built a brand, would you say no? And I'd love just to hear that perspective of what that time was like. And was it was it a sad period of time, an emotional period of time?
1: Well, the the two thousand eight was a scary period of time. The the doing the deal with Coke, what it actually the the, the situation precipitated a need to raise some money. Right? Is is that straightforward? we owe millions of pounds we don't have it the bank's going to foreclose if we don't pay it back we need some cash how are we going to get cash you've got to sell a bit of the business and that's the
0: pretty black and white pretty black
1: and white so we run a process you know we appoint a person who's you know running the process we launch the prospectus for investing in the business on september the 14th of 2008 the day that Lehman Brothers goes under. And I remember the guy our advisor going, congratulations, guys, you're starting a fundraising process on the worst day in financial history. What actually happened was really indicative. Most of the big companies, because by that point, every single big company in the past had contacted us to say they wanted to invest. Most sort of came in to hear the plan, but didn't actually offer... A load of VCs at the previous year had been like massively like positive about the business, they came in and heard the the sort of the pitch, and put in brutal offers. One was subject to stopping paying the ten percent of profits to charity and paying to them as a dividend. Another one was us take you know forgoing shares and becoming sort of managerial with them giving the right to to fire us and brutally low valuations. Coke's view was this: like you're having a bad year. But we've been through two old wars and three depressions. It it it'll come back. We fundamentally believe in the brand and the philosophy. And they were like, "Yep, straight away sign up to the principle. Of the profits coming continue to be paid to charity. Loved the idea that all the employees were shareholders. The fundamental values that we believed in, we just saw were going to be enhanced more than anything. And our mission was not to stay small our mission was to get as many natural healthy and ethical drinks to as many people and places as possible and raise money for charity in the meantime they were a very safe harbor to go to and one that we've to this day have a fantastic relationship with their one condition on buying a small bit of the business is that at some point in the future they could have the right to acquire all of it because otherwise their view was what are we going to do with a bit of a juice business but wow what a deal because in return for buying that small bit they also not only committed to sort of honour all the sort of the things that we, we kept full control until the day that we left. Quite amazing.
0: That is amazing. We
1: had a sort of a deal with them that we could at some point at our choice in the future decide a date when we were going to sell our shares. And we could do some some in a few years, some a bit later. There was a point where, in this, where Coke owned 56% of the shares, so the majority, and we still had entirely full operating control of the business because we'd separated out votes from... Quite
0: unheard of, huh?
1: I, I think corporate... I've never it, heard of that. It, I've never heard of it. Again, massive credit to our lawyers, Paul Chappie and Phil at Wilson. They made us twice as rich as we would have been. But as importantly as money, we kept control of our business. Mm-hmm. And of course, the guy that did the deal, who's now actually the global CEO, James Quincy, obviously like the smartest guy in the room, He knew if you're going to fiddle with it, you're going to ruin it. So it's like, Mm. back them, let them get on with it. Mm. And so actually now Innocent, you know, since that was done in 2008, the business was turning over about sort of 110 million. It's now doing about 400 million. It's like, it's just, it's launching in Japan. It's launching in China. So our secret crazy dream that we never dared show, because we thought it was so unlike to the point of it's just naive to think about it, that one day Innocent would become this sort of global juice brand. Well, it's already now the biggest juice brand in Europe and has been for a couple of years. It's now in track to be the global one. It's Coke's go-to brand for every market outside of or, or, of the US. Isn't and that remake... amazing? Is. For me, it's amazing. It is
0: amazing. Again, I just feel I feel teary. You saying that—that's just. Know, uh, you know,
1: and, and Douglas, the guy that's running Innocent now, is a guy that you know we worked with for seven years. It was like no mm-hmm. one lost their job when we sold yep. to Coke. No one came from Coke to do a job. It was an entirely innocent takeover of Innocent. You know, it's all the new, our existing board members. They have got promotion. Everyone got some money. It's just such a. A of just a beautiful moment for, for everyone all around. You just, I got two days ago a picture. We go, thought you'd like to see this. And it's the picture of the innocent office in in Tokyo. It's the same office, just decked out with AstroTurf with a group of people, you know, doing the innocent thing, getting natural, healthy it's drinks. It's just
0: amazing. It was super fun. It's just And now amazing. we get to go to the launch party. Yeah.
1: I don't have to do any work. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. I, 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 I know Very it's cheesy to say. I, I, I just feel like the luckiest guy. The luckiest guy.
0: I love the story that when we, we nearly lost it all. I know you you nearly lost four it all four hours. Yeah, and now you worked your socks off. You had that belief, but the the day that it all. I, I don't. I,
1: to, I, to be honest, I don't think I had the belief. I didn't think it was going to work. The belief was it's but definitely down, not going to work. No, no, definitely the belief is it's not going to work. But it's still worth a go. Yeah.
0: Okay. We
1: had our five percent probability event, which is one day become this international. I had this really weird thing that. And it sounds incredibly specific, but I had this vision that one day it would be this international business. That I'd it that, that the corner of the office where I sat would be, the, the walls would be made of glass, you know, like the exterior walls. And Bill Clinton would be speaking in our, in our, in our office. This is one thinking in 1999. I'll show you out there. I've got the picture of me and Bill in Fruit Towers next to the world's biggest innocent bottle. I thought, well, if I'm going to get Bill Clinton, I'm definitely going to get the, the product shop, me next to him. I, I, and we moved into a new office in two thousand eight, and, and I look, and I and I didn't, I didn't Stop. assign. Are I you going to say this
0: going to corner glass?
1: I, And I didn't even assign my seat. I left it to the facilities manager. Turn up one day, like oh, that's really weird because that is definitely a glass corner thing. <laughs> like
0: ah. ah, the vision. You like left- the letter
1: to the universe. You know that thing.
0: It's it's you left Fruit Towers by boat along the canal, and you started Jam Jar Investments on the Monday morning. I hear. What was that first day like for you? You know, did you think? I'm just going to do this again.
1: The conversation probably goes something like this. Oh, sorry. What I did want to say about the innocent thing is, if I had been the guy that we nearly were within four hours of having built this thing, Mm -hmm. it going wrong, and then losing everything, being shown the door, that would have been unbelievably traumatic. We left it in rude health on our terms with a great payoff for us and everyone involved. I, we didn't walk out feeling we've got to do all that again. We walked out going, right, um, well, we definitely need somewhere to hang out during the day, don't we? <laughs> oh, Alan John our other halves
0: are seriously not going to get to They want already have kids, home. you see, because they're yeah. like,
1: mate, we can't stay at home. We're doing it get involved in childcare. So we're <laughs> like, okay, we've just got this childcare avoidance centre. So we're going to find a nice place. What are we are going to do in it? Well, does we want to start a business? Not really. It's really hard work. So we'll do investing. It's definitely much easier.
0: <laughs> so that's what we do. And the driving force behind starting Jam Jar, the, the sort of the philosophy in what you look for, because I've recently spoken to a few people on this podcast. So Edward Perry from Cook, um, he's just become a B Corp Corporation. Yeah. And I hear that Innocent actually has become a B Corp Corporation. Has, yeah. I'm noticing more and more the fact that business can be this power, this force for good. Um, At Holly & Co, we call them the good life companies, Mm -hmm. where they can balance the idea of happiness or profits with doing good or being good. You said, um, I like businesses that are genuinely improving things, finding better solutions to old problems. Business really is the economic engine that drives society, but that's not enough. It should be making money and, and that and is key. Do you apply that to your investments um, when you look for prospective investments here at Jamjar?
1: The short answer is yes, yes we do. But we're also conscious of we are never going to try and force our way of thinking onto someone else. I mean, good luck trying to get an entrepreneur to do things that they don't want to do anyway. But yes, we we do. We just wouldn't have invested in Wonga. Mm-hmm. We want to invest in businesses that. our our belief is for both sort of commercial reasons and sort of spiritual reasons that just in the the business of creating little moments of joy. it sounds a bit pretentious to say it like that way, but they are little granular moments of joy when, when the sort of the thing that the business does the job well and the product well, and it's a positive thing. and, And I'm a big believer in just back the stuff that's good for everyone. Good for shareholders, good for society, good for the customers, if you approach it, it's not just about the money, then I find life gets so much more interesting. And it's a really nice way to filter because you have to filter because yeah. there's, there's yeah. a billion ideas out there. So you've got to find out what what's our patch. Well, our patch is that, you know, we're going to invest in businesses that make money and contribute in addition to that.
0: And you make great investments. I mean, they're all in my house. You know, Deliveroo for my son Harry is far too many times in our household. Uh, Tails, my Mr. Mudley, who's my boarder, is in love with it. Grays, which comes to our office, et cetera, et cetera. So, entrepreneurship, what you now are seeing, so you are an entrepreneur, were a famous entrepreneur starting up innocent. You now then now invest in entrepreneurs. So you're on the sort of other side of the table. And when we look at sort of the demeanor here, I would say in the UK, um, it was interesting, um, Johnny Bowden and Wilfred, who founded the Black Farmer, mentioned it, this sort of, um, when they've gone to America, this sort of American dream mentality um, and how they feel that we're held back as us Brits. We're, We're held back in some way. What have you seen? And- would you believe in that or do you be agree in that statement or do you feel that the age of entrepreneurship is upon us and that actually it's never been easier to be an entrepreneur? You look back to when you started, Richard, and it's very different to today, but that spirit, has that spirit changed?
1: When I was a kid, right, the archetype of of a, of a businessman or entrepreneur was Arthur Daly. Yeah. Right. Arthur Daly off Minder or like Del Boy.
0: Del Boy, yeah. It was
1: seen as a slightly dodgy thing, businessman, entrepreneur, a bit dodgy. I actually, I think uh, society just evolves, doesn't it? But there are things, I think Branson made a massive difference personally. Mm -hmm. Branson, in my world, is the first guy that made business cool and hip and sexy and countercultural and fun and different. To a certain extent, he's sort of gives you the license he's underwritten a license for the entrepreneurs to do it with a bit of joy and you know innocent ultimately he's not original innocent is we've stolen a thousand different ideas you know as I say from Upper Hopton Gala via Patagonia the company that does the 10% of profits to charity you know we, we we steal everything and then we repurpose it and make it our own and I I just think that there's there's just never been a better time to be an entrepreneur and wow There's never been more need for it because entrepreneurs are the yeast through which society grows its bread. It's how change happens. It's how things are better. And entrepreneurship, I don't mean just in a literal business sense. I mean, being entrepreneurial, taking on a problem, solving it, wanting to make things better, collaborating. Come to understand this about the the world. If we want a good future, we're going to have to learn how to share it in it a little bit better. And entrepreneurship is what I love about it, and it's what I love about investing, actually. It's a deeply collaborative yes. bit of the world. There's so much more opportunity for entrepreneurs if there's already lots of successful entrepreneurs. Same with investing. Much better to invest alongside an investor than, like, oh, I don't wanna, you know, I want it all. It's like, no, much better to have a, a wider set of talents and experiences sat around yeah. the, the table. Yeah. I think you can do it now at any age. I get really excited about 15-year-olds doing it. We just see that seven-year-old kid who's making... 23 million. By is 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 Google's number one income earner. Uh, by the way, age seven, I was selling I was selling jars of perfume in inverted commas which actually in jam jars, funny enough, yes. which was just with rose petals and water at two p. A go. But then How, I know of um, 70 year olds starting businesses. It's yeah, like it's, it's for everyone. It? It's the equal opportunities yeah. employ. It's, it's like it's a state
0: you, of mind it's rather a sta- than anything It's a state else. of mind. Whereas before we used to look at the the who you were, what you were, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then allow you to do it or not. Whereas now it's a state of mind, and we have that. We have that incubator now, which is us as society. Yeah, recognize it. We support it. Crowd, far more. Literally, we literally crowdfund it. That um, didn't,
1: That wasn't a thing. That literally didn't exist. Fifteen years ago. Don't we wish that
0: was a thing at some oh, point? Oh, we wish. We, that we (laughs) i wish social media and crowdfunding had been a thing i know it is a phenomenal i could carry on forever and ever but i know you've got a lot of things to get going with a couple of last questions that i ask everybody at the end of this podcast because i believe that running your own business is like a scary roller coaster can you tell me what one of your greatest highs has been so far in your career
1: The best moment actually of Innocent for me personally, and I have to say I'm dealing with an unbelievable, massive buffet of fantastic moments. It was sort of, it wasn't all fantastic. There was bits that were stressful and where I felt out of my depth and all that sort of stuff. But here's the highlight. And it's insane really. But if I'm being honest, this was my favorite single moment. It was about eight years in. We have decided to run our very first TV advert. We haven't employed an ad agency. We've written a little advert ourselves and filmed it down the park with a friend who, like, was a film student. It's a little simple stop frame animation of a little innocent cartoon waddling onto the thing. Okay, hello, we're innocent. We make yeah. smoothies and all this fruit goes goes. Pop, 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 pop. So we're in the editing suite. It's late at night. We're putting it all together, and there's there's the final bit where a story disappears, and we want a ping. And working with the sound engineer, was going through all these like recorded pings, and we, they're not—they're not all—they're they're not all, just not quite right. I've got my hippie mate in the background, who's actually just waiting for me to finish so we can go out. And and he goes, yeah, 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 in this, in a way as if it's like this is completely known to him. He goes, yeah, the problem is, mate, you haven't got the right chakra. You need to get—you need to choose the chakra and then get the right note for the right chakra. I'm like, right. <laughs>
0: And do you. Heart have chakra. Heart chakra. I have never heard Hell yeah. I mean, didn't know it had an actual tone. You do, you know, but Neither we, did I we, till we, then. We, we, but we, this yeah. guy's
1: like, well, yeah, obviously. Of course. You know, it's like, a G. You know the sky's blue, you know. <laughs> chakra, heart's G. It's probably not even G. I can't remember. Yeah. Apologies to all the chakra musicians if I've got the G. The maybe G it was a
0: C. And, and the opposite to that, Richard, what was has been. One of your lows? Ah, oh, well, there's,
1: there's no, there's no contest in that one. That is standing in front of the team on the Monday morning. We had a Monday morning meeting every single Monday for 15 years, 9 a.m. My job was always to start the business day by introducing the new starters, and this was the incredible thing about Innocent. It was like there was literally at least someone every week starting, and we'd go, "This is new and say a few, few fun facts, introduce them to the business. It was one week where I'm standing up and going, "We're." We're really sorry. This is the situation. You know, the business is in turmoil. At least 10% of you are going to be losing your jobs. That's the worst bit. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I don't mean for me. I mean, Mm -hmm. on behalf, Mm -hmm. you know, it's sort of, yeah. Because as I said, that's our fault. But, you know, it was also the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. It would have been, we should have done it sooner, better, Mm -hmm. but we'd never experienced that before. Mm -hmm. We did it in the right way. Everyone left with as generous a settlement as we could do at the point. And my favorite fact about it was we had the Christmas party on the Friday and every single person came. So there was sort of, people got it and understood it. And
0: mm. Thank you tremendously, Richard, for our conversation today. I've really... I looked- love it.
1: It's like, I've sort of th- I feel I- like I've, I've therapized. Oh, I, I-, word, I but- just
0: can't tell you. You know, you're, as you said, you were on that TV getting that award. And I think that that's how um, people look at you. You're the poster boy of how to build a famous brand. But I well, think Well, this is the our- great
1: irony, isn't it? I... I- me and Adam John get all the public credit. It's like, but there's 300 people doing the work. It, Insane, it, really. It,
0: it is. And, you, and you've and you made that very clear in this interview. But you have, a, obviously, a fantastic heart. You're a force of good. Innocent is a beloved brand. And it's certainly... Um, makes us all proud. And um, I'm. it will be a real highlight in my career to be sitting here with you. So thank you oh, so sweet. much thank you. for your I really, I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, Thanks ev- for listening. Uh, <laughs> every week I ask my guests, though, to write a letter to their younger selves. And I savour this bit because it's a little bit that I don't know about. And I can't wait to hear yours, Richard. So I hand it over to you.
1: So I think I'm writing this to my sort of around about my 11-year-old self. Okay. Mate, I have to tell you, you're going to love it. Your life. I know right now you're feeling lonely and upset. But it turns out this period of having no friends, of running around the playground, looking at your watch, pretending you're late for meeting someone to make it look like you have friends, it's temporary. Like everything, it will pass. And if you continue to endure the discomfort and put yourself out there, it will pass more quickly. You are by nature an open, friendly, thoughtful, loyal and adventurous person. And you'll discover that those qualities over the longer term will gain you many friends. And the sadness you're feeling now will actually become an asset to you as it will add empathy to that list of characteristics. Becoming an entrepreneur will be the making of you. You've sensed that ever since your mum suggested you organise a jumble sale. Continue to start stuff. Initiate. Share. Collaborate. Your daydreams of starting a business will come true. But in the meantime, you'll work your socks off at your exams. I know it sucks that your mates are down the pub. I think it's one bit older now. And you're sat in a caravan in your driveway revising but it's a deal that pays off. You realize as you get older, there's a decade for everything. Teenage years for learning, 20s for partying, 30s for working, and your 40s for family. And that will be your best decade yet, when you become a father. It'll be later than you expect, but worth the wait. And the freedom you have from having started and sold a business means you'll have time And the kind of life that allows you to spend lots of time with them every single day. That is going to make you very, very happy. You also learn not to care about what others think. Not in a callous way. You'll remain thoughtful and generous to others. But you will have learned to ignore the negative voices in your head. They're talking horseshit. Do everything for positive reasons. Your only regrets are going to be when you acted or didn't act out of fear. Fear Fear-based thinking gets you nowhere. Sure, why not thinking gets you much further. Oh, and while you're single, kiss as many people as possible. If you're kind and honest and respectful, there's no harm in it and it's one of the greatest pleasures in life. Enjoy all, mate. Even the shit bits, it's all proof of being alive. Mm. I literally nearly cried about five times.
0: <laughs> you know, it's um what's just amazing Richard is that um what you touched on there is what so many people forget is that you know, we build businesses, you sold businesses, you invest in businesses, but one of the greatest moments of your life is having that family, having that life that you've created Mm. and actually running your own business and being in control of your destiny allows you to fully appreciate how beautiful that is. And um, it's just wonderful that that's one of your moments. And I think it is. We we, we all can't forget that. But Richard, thank you so much.
1: It's even better than the ping of the strawberry.
0: And I can't say
1: say more than that. (laughs)
0: Richard thank you thank you so much massive hug hug hug. because I I want to cry this is a, a podcast hug if you've enjoyed this episode please rate and review it on whichever platform you've listened I'd love it if you could spread the word by sharing this episode across your own social channels empowering even more people to build a life they love